Welcome to the College Scoops Podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with Dr. Tara Egan on how to get your teen to talk. In every client I work with, even if they're coming in because they have conflict with making friends or they're failing math or peer pressure or they have, you know, issues with their body or, you know, any issue, right? If they are able to connect with their caregivers and their parents, everything seems less overwhelming. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members, free eBooks, and even a College Scoops care package. Dr. Egan holds a doctorate in school psychology and has specialized training in counseling and family school relations. She has worked in public schools, private schools, mental health centers, and as an adjunct college professor. She established Charlotte Parent Coaching, LLC, in 2011. Dr. Egan is also the author of three books, Better Behavior for Ages 2 through 10, Adolescence, a Parent's Guide, and The First Time Mom's Toddler Discipline Handbook, Practical Advice and Go-To Strategies for Parenting with Confidence. And she also co-hosts her own parenting podcast called One Day You'll Thank Me with her teenage daughter, Anna. Welcome to the College Scoops podcast, Tara. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. So you have so much knowledge and experience to impart, and we wanted to really talk to you about like communication. And I know you've done so much. You're an author, you're a podcast host, you're a therapist, you were an adjunct college professor. I mean, I could go on. You're making me look bad. (laughs) (laughs) I like to do all the things. That's true. And most importantly, your mom. And a stepmom. And a stepmom. So that is just, I made a joke with one of my kids one day. I said, I've been trying to get fired from my job for so many years. I said it in jest. (laughs) And I said, but there's no one who wants to replace me or who can. Moms are hard to replace. Yeah. And it's such a great point to think about like how many directions we're pulled in a given day or week or month. And there's certain things that we can take off our plate, delegate, hire out. And there's other things that are really, really specific to being a mom or being a parent. Yes. And I think that it's one of those things that as I reflect back in terms of my profession, my professional career and where I've been and what I'd like to do, I always think with a mom role, it's the short term that you're putting in so much time and energy and effort physically at first, then mentally later on. But like long term, I always say, hopefully, you know, you have these kids who are now young adults and adults who like you, 
want to come back and visit, hopefully not for too long, mm-hmm. <laughs> but who you have a real nice relationship with. So it's well worth all the effort and the um, challenges that go into it, I'm sure. Yeah. And it can feel like there's some moments where you're like, oh my goodness, like this kid's going to walk out at 18 and never come back or never talk to us again because we're arguing or we can't agree on the level of autonomy that this kid should have. And, you know, we want to protect that relationship. We want to still give them supervision and guidance and boundaries and all of those healthy things. But, you know, the goal is to have them come around when they get to be young adults and adults and share their life with you and where your relationship is more of equals, you know, two adults interacting and that you get to share part of yourself with them and that you're really connected. It's so true. And I just, on a side note, I mentioned right before we started the podcast that one of my kids came home and he said to me, that was the best hug that you've given me in so long. And immediately as a mom, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what were the other ones like? Like, I didn't mean to present something other than I love you and I want to hold you forever. So, but when you talk about communications as well, there are times when my husband will watch the interplay between myself, one of my kids, and just say, you purposely are talking past each other. Like, you're saying the same thing. Do you realize what you're doing? Like, you two just like to engage in that banter back and forth. Mm-hmm. So well, we bring a lot of our own baggage into it, right? So like, if our kid says something that they mean to be adorable, which is that was the best hug ever, then like your mom brain is like, wait, did you not appreciate my other hugs, you know, versus you just being like, okay, my kid is home from college and we're together. Let's just be present in this moment. You're absolutely right. Because that's the judgment that comes in Mm -hmm. and it could be judgment on either side. And that's kind of what screws everything up. So can you just share with us in terms of what inspired you to do what you're doing and be a therapist and help parents and students and kids? Well, I grew up with a very mentally ill mom and she really struggled with depression and mood regulation. And she really did not have the same sort of resources that all of us out here are trying to provide for their children. You know, she didn't have access to the mental health care and self-awareness and, you know, she's passed now, but I definitely look back with compassion at how hard her road was to be a parent. And she had four children. And to do it while wrestling with mental health issues and feeling relatively unsupported, that's never a feeling that I want any of my clients to feel, whether they're the parent and I'm working with the parent and helping them navigate through all the parenting challenges they have to, or the kid who's struggling with the relationship with the parent. Because in every client I work with, even if they're coming in because they have conflict with making friends or they're failing math or peer pressure or they have, you know, issues with their body or, you know, any issue, right? If they are able to connect with their caregivers and their parents, everything seems less overwhelming. So that is a huge goal that I have with my clients. And even though clients who work with me, they have confidentiality, just like anybody else does, you know, they're able to say whatever they want to say. And unless there's a safety issue, we don't need to bring it outside the walls of my office. I do convey to kids, like our goal is to always have your family be functioning with the most potential possible. And even though I want to be your support and your safe place, I want us to keep working toward your parents being a safe place too. And that's a goal. Like it's a clinical goal of every case I'm on because I don't think 
And not every parent is equally as equipped to support their kids, but if there's whatever version that parent can give, I want to maximize it. So as the years go by and I work with these families and I see what a vulnerable place they're in when they come to me, my service that I provide is pretty intense. Like I'm kind of up in their business. I oftentimes do home visits, sometimes school visits. You know, I take calls in between appointments so that we can connect about a strategy. It's meant to be an intense service. And then to kind of break it up a little bit. I like to do the writing. I'm a good writer. It comes easily to me. So I've written three books and the podcast for any of you out there who are interested, it's called One Day You'll Thank Me. And I do it with my teenage daughter. So sometimes people will say, you know, like, oh, what's the goal of your podcast? And I'm like, it's a love letter to my kids. You know, like I have these amazing guests come on and they get to say all the things that I want my kids to know, but you know, mom's not the one saying it. Absolutely. And so a lot of the topics that I pull from and the experts that I interview are based on, okay, what's something that I want my kid to know by the time they leave this house. So I have a lot of variety. I love it. it when you were talking about just personal experience, I think it was never something to discuss. I mean, I feel for our parents and because there was so much um, mental illness and difficulties and struggles and that just wasn't to be discussed. It wasn't something that you would ever talk about. So how does one deal with that? I think in my circumstance, my mom talked about it too much with me. Like okay. she treated me a bit like a friend. A friend. Right. And okay. you feel very helpless. You know, you're 12, you're 13 years old, and your mother is telling you a really graphic description of a trauma she experienced or the feelings of loneliness that she has in a bout of depression. And, you know, for me, I was like, I, I don't know how to help you. I don't, you know, you want to, you know. And so when I grew up, I learned how to help her. And she's gone now. It's too late. You know, we wouldn't have ever had that relationship. That wouldn't have been appropriate. But it's nice to know I can fill that spot for other people. Well, and I think that's something that's so hard because I always, I want that great relationship with my kids, but I am not a friend, nor do I want them to think of that just because there are things that they should confide with, with their peers that is not for me to know. And the same thing, I should not be disclosing information about my relationship with my husband or my certain aspects of my relationship with my parents. It's just not, I would say almost age appropriate and or appropriate, just relationship appropriate. Be a really big burden on kids if they get into a space where they feel like they are responsible for either your well-being or your emotional state or protecting you. You know, I want kids to have a balance, right? Like sometimes parents will just talk to their kids about the kid. Do you have a math test? Are you interested in dating that girl? Did you talk to your aunt Sally when she called? And we don't say anything about ourselves. And so it's this really one way relationship and the kid has a hard time developing empathy towards their parents because they barely recognize their parents as people because the parent doesn't share anything of themselves. And so there's that end of it where they're not connected, not because the parent isn't attentive and responsive, but because they're not teaching their kid to give a crap about them. You know, right. I remember my kids would get in the car after visiting with their dad and I'd say, oh, how was their weekend? We talk about it. And I'd say, well, now ask me about mine. 
And I just told him, I went to the grocery store. I found those cookies you like. I talked to Aunt Mary on the phone. And I think we're going to see her over Thanksgiving. Like, I didn't tell her about grown-up problems, but I did want them to understand, like, this is a conversation that goes two ways. Right. And so now I have these teenagers and I come home from work and they're like, hey, mom, how's your day? And I tell them, oh, I had a really great, cool client I worked with. I mean, nothing confidential or I had even like I had a great cup of coffee, you know, and I do try to keep it pretty upbeat, but I want them to be listeners. I want them to understand like they're still in a relationship with me, even if I'm not their friend. And then as we get older, I, you know, I joked with my daughter, I'm like, oh, when you're 25, then we'll be, then we'll be more friends. And she's (laughs) like, okay, you know, I don't really know how that will work, but we're very friendly, you know, like we have a nice sense of humor and connection and can joke and be ourselves. Um, But I'm well aware that I'm the adult in the situation. Well, you said something that I think is so important and something that I didn't realize when my kids went away for a semester during school and we only had a very limited, we had 20 minutes, a phone call once a week. And it was very hard because you have all these emotions and they were, they were young at the time. They were 16 at the time. They've never been away from home and they go away. And now you have this set phone call that you had to prep for. And it was very interesting. And I learned something from my oldest who was the first one to experience this we'd get on the phone my husband and i and we'd bombard the poor kid with questions and it was like firing off Mm -hmm. um and then what happened was he would keep a journal and he'd list all the things that he'd want to share with us and what we didn't realize he reserved time at the end he said but i want to hear about you what is going on can you share some information about what's happened at home and And we were unprepared the first time, and that felt like the biggest failure because here we are, as you said, the tables turn now that your son or daughter or they want to ask you about your life and what's happened. And we were unprepared. We didn't. So the next conference call, the next call that we had, we had our list of all the things that we wanted to share. And I was so thankful that my son had taught us that. Mm -hmm. That's it. It was such a kind thing. He said, you know, I've been sharing all this, but there's a void because I haven't heard about you. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. I'm just saying it was in that intense moment where you're away. And I think that comes into play when students are returning home from college too. Or let's see, even high school, you're picking up your kid from high school and you get in the car after a soccer practice and they get in and you start to bombard them with questions and they're like, I don't care what I ate. Yeah, or they're just looking at their phone and you know they want to catch up with their social world and you're like asking about their lunch and they're like, what? There must be ways and strategies or ideas and advice that you have for parents because i think sometimes the expectation is okay we have the questions and we want to ask them now but i'll never forget i'm an early person i like to go to bed on the earlier side and my kids would come in at 11 o'clock at night and they're like i want to share now and i'm like i am so tired yeah i'm not equipped sh- yeah <laughs> i can share at 5 30 in the morning but 11 o'clock at night there's nothing left to me so first step like how do you encourage and get your kids talking when they might not be in the right framework or want to share at the moment? Well, I think there's a couple ways, a couple ways that come to mind is a lot of times our kids will go to their room and then they come out at some point, whether it's to eat or because they want something, you know, and then we're like, okay, they must be ready to talk. Like I'm going to be present. I'm going to 
talk to them and ask them questions. But I do encourage parents to sometimes go into their space in a really relaxed way. Like don't go in there and start criticizing them because they didn't put their clean clothes away. But like to go in there, like I'll go and we have cats. And so the cats like to hang out in my daughter's bed. So I'll go in there and I'll lay on the bed and talk about how cute the cat is. And I'll be like, look at, look what he's doing. You know, there's no pressure. If she's putting on eye makeup and she's just like doing her thing, fine. But usually with just being present and not critical, not coming in with a big agenda of a list of things they need to do, but you're just present. And you might be there three minutes, seven minutes, half an hour. You can just kind of have the conversation. And so sometimes it's good to offer something relaxed and casual, like, have you seen the latest episode of Ted Lasso and or some something that speaks their language or show them a funny video you saw? You know, I show my my kids a lot of like dad jokes and, and like cat memes and stuff like that. It's just a casual engagement. And if you normalize being in their space and not every kid can handle it, especially if you try doing it when they're 16 and you've never done it before, that usually doesn't go well. But if you've always kind of come in and just relaxed for a couple minutes and not criticized, they, they will welcome it. Um, so that's one thing. Another suggestion I have, and I did this when I married my husband and he has four kids and one of his kids, when I married his dad was just entering his senior year and he had an apartment, like there wasn't an apartment. It was a room above the garage. So he had like a separate stairway. So I used to tell him, you need to give me 15 minutes of eye contact a day. And it was like funny. It wasn't like I was like, get down here. But I was just like, hey, I need your 15 minutes of eye contact. And it was this funny thing. And he had to come down and I'd be like cooking dinner or whatever. It wasn't like we stared at each other, but he had to like be in the room and be present. And so he would come down and sit at the stool at the counter. And we would sometimes we talked about like literally nothing, like nothing that could be remembered ever. Other times he would tell me about something with a friend or something that annoyed him or I, I know one time we talked about birth control and we would just have these casual conversations and it wasn't something like his dad did with him. It was just like, he was humoring me as a stepmom to be like, all right, 15 minutes, whatevs. That but, is hysterical that you even said though, eye contact. So you're not even saying you have to talk. Mm -mm. That takes one layer of pressure and expectation yeah. off. It's just, mm -hmm. as you said, be present. Like I was like, I need to see your brown eyes. And so that meant, you know, not him with his eyes on his phone and just being, you know, in a conversation. So I'd be sitting there chopping up salad for dinner or whatever. And it wasn't a high pressure thing. And sometimes I might share something. And most of the time I was kind of waiting for him to say something that I could use to continue our conversation. And like I said, not everything was profound, but there was enough that it left a mark, a positive mark on our relationship. And well, so now I, he's 24, he's got a baby, and I get to be like grandma. That is so nice. I think there's so much in there in terms of what you said. And you can't establish something overnight. That's the other thing. I think you had this, you said he was a senior. So it wasn't something that, you know, happened in the first week, in the first month. But it was something that happened throughout the entire senior year. And that's become, you have a unique relationship probably with, that yeah. son versus another mm -hmm. one, just because of, it's almost as when you said it, I kind of laughed too. And I, I was putting myself in the shoes of a 17 year old boy. I'm like, all right, I got that. 15 minutes of eye contact, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. And when he came down, I didn't fuss at him how his room smelled or while you're down here, empty the garbage or, you know, anything. I mean, he would have, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but that wasn't why he was there. It was just, and I think, I hope, I hope that he just felt wanted by me. Again, we talk about what we as parents want and expect, and then put yourself in the shoes of a 16, 17, 18 year old or a college student who's, there's so much going on and you can't begin academically, socially, mentally, physically. Sometimes, as you said, just being present and establishing that bond and that relationship. You won't see the benefit short term, or you may, but long term, it's gonna create this lasting kind of impression and relationship and actually teach them something that they'll probably turn around and do with their kids. As a step parent, I hope there's something that he would take away from who I am or what I do and feel that it was worthy enough to bring into his own parenting life. And, and, you know, he was a kid I didn't get to, I didn't even meet him until he was nearly 17. And so, you know, we, here we are, his dad and I have been, you know, together a year and we're moving into the same house. And he was switching from living with his mom to living with his dad full time. And here I am with all my educational goals and let's talk about your future. And you know, that would have had some kids just running to the room, bolting it and just never coming out. So Mm -hmm. kudos to both of you for creating that wonderful kind of experience. And I think that's the other thing, too. It's each child is different. So you can't almost say, okay, let me try that with each and every kid, because that won't work. You Mm -hmm. just have to figure out what works with them and go from there. I mean, another example was when my youngest went away to school and it was just my husband and I, he actually did what I did to the kids each day. <laughs> and when he did it to me, I was like, whoa. It was after work and we sat down for dinner and he was just firing the questions at me. And I looked up at him and I excused myself. I went to the bathroom. I quickly texted my youngest one. I'm like, I now know what you feel like. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. I won't bombard you with questions right when you walk in the door. And we laugh about it. And we truly, my husband, I said, oh my gosh, that's what I've done to so-and-so. And we both started laughing about it. And it's kind of also having that relationship, that ability to say, you know what, too much too soon? Or can we just, you know, can I talk to you about that later? You look at things like introversion and extroversion and how social your kid is. I talk about this thing with parents that I call word count. And what that is, and this is a term I just made up, is like everybody has a certain amount of like language that they can be a recipient to in any given day. And so once you reach your word count, like my husband's word count is much higher than mine. So he can talk a lot longer than I can. My word count is going to be used up quicker than his. So there's times when I'm like, okay, I can feel that I'm not as equipped to be a really like meaningful partner in this conversation. So as his partner, I either regroup and recognize like this particular conversation in order for me to be a responsive partner, like I've got to power through, or I might say, whew, we got to take a break. Like, let me grab something to eat. Cause I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm, I can tell I'm not concentrating as much as I'd like to be. So it lets them know in a kind way, like, oh, I need to pause. And it's the same thing with kids. It's like, you know, whether it's a therapy session I'm doing with them or I'm doing an observation where I'm watching how a family interacts, like I'm looking for that word count. Because once kids are out, once they've tapped out because you've reached their word count, everybody's spinning their wheels. And so I would rather have parents have two or three brief conversations that are within that child's word count 
than be like, today's the day I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about this situation and you have to sit here. And then I'm going to be mad later when you don't recollect as much of it as I wanted you to. So I teach parents like notice what your kid's word count is and stop when they've reached it. That kind of goes to the whole like power struggle when you see certain kids come in and parents. And again, that's probably just the both parties being unwilling to kind of like lay down the ground rules almost. And still, like we said, we're a parent, there are kids. You said to your son, I want 15 minutes of eye contact. So how that played out, you know, you both were working through that. So I think for parents, it's, you know, having that discussion maybe with their kids saying, this is non-negotiable, how that plays out, let's work through it, as you said. That collaborative spirit, you know, if you have that, if you've cultivated that within your home and how you communicate with each other, I say to my kids, like, what's the plan for this? And it's not meant to be accusatory or attacking, but I'm just like, what's your thought process and how this would play out? Make, see if it matches up with mine. Or maybe I have a suggestion that's different than what you're thinking. Right. And, you know, I want them to be in a collaborative mindset because first of all, it lets me know what the limits of, of their autonomy is, right? Like I recently, my husband and I have been discussing doing some renovations in our home. And I was like, I've never done like a grown up loan. Like I need to get like a home equity loan. Like I don't even know what that is. And all of our parents have passed away or not capable of us asking. It it was a moment my husband and I were both like, oh, I wish we had parents because this is like a question you would ask your parent, you know? Yes. And so I think of like, if you're able to create a relationship with your kids where you recognize there's going to be those times when you have the answer because you're the parent with the adult brain. But there's also times where they are able to add really valuable input that's personal to them. So you can hear each other, you know, like sometimes I just got to pull the mom card and be like, you know what, I know you don't get it. Like, I know it doesn't make sense to you, but this is going to be an adult decision. Right. Right. And it goes down better when they know there's plenty of times that they get to have input on a kid appropriate decision. There are some things where we said there are ground rules, something like driving. Okay, you have the keys, but with that comes responsibility. And actually, it is my car. I do pay insurance. I always used to joke, spoon fed you once. I don't want to do it again when you get in an accident. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a joke, but it was, but I mean, it's, it's not true. because it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you can do what you want when you buy that car, when you've moved out, you have your own life. That is something. But until then, this is the expectation we have at home. Or, you know, you mentioned it earlier with the technology. My kids always would laugh when I would come home from me meeting up with a bunch of parents in high school. They would say, oh, no, here she comes with the rules again. She heard about so-and-so putting, you know, there was one, put the phones in the basket when you come into our house. And all the kids are going to come over and they're going to hang out. They're not going to sit there on the couch all with their phones. At one point, one of my kids said, well, then I'm not going to really have anyone to invite over. Mm. Okay, so... With the technology too, what's some advice too with parents handling that aspect of the relationship with their kids, with the communication aspect? So oftentimes in my office, when I talk to parents about technology, I draw like a circle and split it up into pie pieces. Okay. So imagine the pie written on the board and then we label the pieces of the pie and we talk about things like extracurricular activities, academic tasks, sleep, family time technology time. What our goal is, is over the course of a week. Okay. Not necessarily every day. Is it going to be balanced, but we want that pie to be balanced. Now 
balance does not mean that every piece is going to be the same size. Your kid is going to have, should have a third of that piece of pie that's to sleep. And there should probably be another third that's school, assuming they have a regular full-time schedule. So then you have the remaining third of that pie that's not sleep, that's not school. Now, obviously in school, there's some overlap with social. There's some overlap with technology because we use technology so much in school. But that remaining part of the day, we want to make sure has balance. So I tell parents, you know, a kid who, let's say it's a Saturday, and, you know, kid A who gets up at a decent hour, they feed the dog, they put on their baseball uniform, they go to practice with their family, they go and grab some lunch, they come home, they shoot the basketball around, or they watch a show, sitting on the couch, vegging out, eating a sandwich. You know, they have dinner with their family. After dinner, they go for a little walk. They share a TV show. Kid plays video games, a couple hours, whatever. That's a really balanced day. That's a kid who's got exercise. They got enough sleep. They saw their family. They had some technology time. Like that's a balanced kid. You might take that same kid and maybe they also only do video games for two hours or three hours, but they laid around all day slept till noon, had a bad attitude, wouldn't do their chores. When mom made them dinner, they just complained and they wanted to go eat it up in their room. Like same, same two or three hours of official technology time, but one kid was balanced and one kid was quite unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to parents, I have them and I help them do this is provide, you know, that, that education to their kids, as far as like what's needed to show us that you can handle the technology. You know, I have a 16 year old now. She has time limits on her phone, like her phone turns off at a certain time, because if I didn't turn it off, she would think she can stay up till two in the morning. She has her phone a lot, but she also is taking AP classes and has an after-school job, and the kid is freaking adorable. I mean, you hear her if she's on podcast. She's like a, this nice kid. I was yeah. listening to one of those. I'm like, oh my gosh, what a great. Yeah, she's funny. Interviewer. She's helpful. Absolutely. And so like, I feel like she has demonstrated that she kind of deserves to have some autonomy. It doesn't mean she always gets it right. There's times I'm like, dude, put down the phone. Like, I'm pretty sure it's like glued into your hand at this point. Given that I see so much balance in her life, I feel like she's earned the ability to navigate it. Other kids, and especially kids, I call them with the A disorders, autism, anxiety, and ADHD, their brains really struggle with regulation and moderation. Those are parents who are probably gonna have to be more directive mm -hmm. and give supervision for longer. And it's not because your kid is not trying to please you. It's not because your kid is naughty. It is because they have like a brain-based diagnosis that is influencing their ability to self-regulate, inhibit impulses, you know, have that moderation. But I think you've explained though too, in both those scenarios, I think one, kids want ground rules. And you may not think that they want them, but they do need them. It's meeting and a need, yeah. It really is. And and you see it when the kids just dissolve after not enough sleep. I mean, it's clear as day, but they're just fighting that. So the ground rules expected, needed, and appreciated, maybe not in the moment, but down the line. And I think the same as when you describe the other scenario. I mean, that's where the parent has to have more oversight and more directive control but that again is needed, wanted, and received in the way that it has to be. And I think that's the other thing in terms of 
technology or you can say anything when you have the kids and they're growing up it's just that dialogue that takes place that respectful relationship i always say you know what i love you i will always love you i may not like you right now you may not agree with me but you have to respect there are boundaries and if there was a playbook on parenting i don't know how many parents would have <laughs> there isn't one because it changes no. and if it was that easy you know i don't know maybe there'd be a lot less kids i mean people have kids and they're like wow this is really hard <laughs> now what do i do with them <laughs> now what do i do with these guys but having said that it's great to all of a sudden get through those challenging stages and then come out of it with, you know, a kind, caring, thoughtful kids who want to be with you at some point in time later on. I always like asking, you're at a point with your son or daughter and you're at the ultimate like struggle or a stressful point. Like, do you have any tips about de-stressing that environment? Well, if everybody's hot, right? So maybe someone's yelling, somebody's stomping around, maybe it feels like they're willfully breaking the rule in that moment to recognize like all of us, no matter how old we are, we have some version of a tantrum, right? So we have the three-year-old tantrums where they're laying on the floor and they're kicking and screaming. Well, like my version of a tantrum is usually going up the stairs and into the laundry room and like angrily folding clothes, right? So I don't look like a three-year-old, but it's like my version. And when I'm in that space, I'm probably not going to be equipped to have this like really meaningful collaborative conversation. And where I see parents struggle is their kids are in a space of whatever that version of tantrum looks like. Parents probably are there too. And they still try to persist to try to get a conclusion. Like you, you know, and a lot of times they're looking for the kid to like almost agree with them. So they'll be like, well, you need to, you know, turn off your Xbox at 11 because you need to be rested tomorrow. And the kid's like, but I'm in the middle of a tournament and they're both arguing and all this stuff. And the parent will like, be following their kid around the house, telling them the 10 amazing parenting reasons that they're putting on this, this boundary in place. And they need, like they're looking for some sort of affirmation from this kid that they're being a solid parent. And instead of recognizing and believing in themselves and saying, okay, I know this is a good choice. I recognize my kid is just developmentally not able to recognize this. And I have to just live with that and set the boundary and like kind of be done with this conversation. So I do think that in those hot moments, we don't step away early enough and just recognize like we are probably not going to get on the same page. Right. And I think that kids do it and parents do it to the same degree. I don't think it's the kids who are like, but dad, I need you to see my, my space in this. I think parents do it just as much as kids. And one of the roles that I have with parents oftentimes is having them recognize like, generally you're making good decisions. You know, the parents I work with are parents who are generally are trying to be mindful. They're trying to be a stable force, a positive force in their kids' lives and have appropriate supervision. And so I want them to generally trust like what they're doing. And so when you sit there and you're looking for your kid to be like, you know what? Good call, mom. You're right. I, I really think I need to get to bed earlier tonight. That's probably not going to happen. And if you're looking for your kid to meet that need, it's going to be stressful for both of you. So step one, step away from that conversation. Step two, realize when they're in that space of like that tantrum that I was telling you about, do not keep piling on consequences. Mm -hmm. So you might say to the kid, you know, I don't appreciate your tone. I need you to put that down and go clean up the kitchen. Like I asked. And then, you know, and they say something snarky and you're like, you know what? 
you're done with your cell phone for the day. Like, I don't like your tone and it's, you've lost your cell phone. So then the kid gets up and they stomp around, right? They go stomping downstairs. I don't know why I have to empty the dishwasher. I didn't even dirty any of these dishes, right? So now you're like, you know what? That's two days. <laughs> you know, so now the kid slams the door to the cabinet and you're like, three, do I hear four? And so now we're in the situation where you're like taking that person who's kind of in a tantrum, they're not able to be reasonable and you're just kind of kicking them when they're down. And that's not something they would really be able to do to us, but because we're the parent and we're the authority, we can do it. It's very rare that a kid is going to stop going down that hole when parents are adding on days and like, be like, Oh, let me turn this around because it happens when they're in the middle of a tantrum, when they're not equipped to turn it around. So I would rather you, you know, set your boundary, like, hey, you haven't cleaned up the kitchen. Technology's done for today. We can start again tomorrow having this go better. And then the kid gets up and stomps around. And as long as they're not doing something truly destructive, right? Let's just assume they're having teenage moments where they're like clanging the dishes extra loud or big theatrical size or something like that. Like, let it go. You know, like they're allowed to have emotions and you have a lot of control that they developmentally feel ready to be sort of done with, but they can't be done with it. So we can't stifle every emotion they have and be like super offended if they're doing an eye roll or they're putting those dishes in the dishwasher too noisily. The other point I would make is that having made those mistakes, all of them, one, two, three, four days, the other aspect of that is you have to hold to your punishment. Mm -hmm. So then there have been times when I've been like, cripe, I gave them four days where they had to do X or we couldn't go out. You're not allowed out and you're not going to do anything for the next four days. Well, now that's a punishment as well. And I find the biggest problem or regret is that you make that huge statement and now you have to follow through with it because if you don't then the next argument you have i'll never forget one of my kids said don't worry she always says that she never come follows through uh. on that. so all of a sudden i thought here i am and they already know she could say whatever she wants but she'll never follow through because it's too hard on the parent yeah. if you're giving those consequences when you're in that moment of your own tantrum I had a, an opposite circumstance where I have my daughter and then I have a stepdaughter who's the exact same age, like almost to the day. They're like 11 right. days apart. So I don't remember, but stepdaughter did something, you know, not a big deal. I can't even remember, but there was some sort of boundary I set. And she started like kind of negotiating and my daughter <laughs> sitting there. She, I remember she was like cutting up a cucumber and she's like, oh, my mom doesn't do that. And then my stepdaughter's like, wait, what? And she's like, yeah, once she says it, it's just, it's just your life now. You just have to do it. I and love so, that. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, and I'm like, oh, good. You know, I'm glad they recognize now. Do I have very extreme punishments? No, not typically because I do want to follow through. I don't want to take that eye roll over emptying the dishwasher and drag it into three days of negativity. You know, I probably gave them the chore because I didn't want to do it. But you're right. The follow through it is super important. And if they recognize that you don't mean what you say, or, you know, my mom or dad gives these, you know, well, we're canceling Christmas. No one has ever canceled Christmas. I would be so rich if I could get a dollar for every time a parent threatened to cancel Christmas or cancel a birthday party. No one does that. Absolutely. And so why are we saying it? It's modeling good behavior too. I find that, you know, to the extent that 
we mimic, they mimic what we're doing. Technology is a perfect example. Well, if we bring a cell phone to the table or if we're constantly checking the phone, then we can't turn around immediately and say, just because it's now the time that we want to talk, that they have to put down the phone. So I think it's all modeling good behavior, you know, trying to, as you said, always put yourself in, we are the parent. I always go to the seasoned parents, you know, who the kids are in their 20s or 30s and lessons learned. If you had to do it all over again. And I remember one mom told me, I'm sure that your son's bedroom is a disaster. I'm like, how did you know? Mm-hmm. And he never does his laundry. She said, you know, for the last two years in high school, do you really pick and choose? Like, is that all you want to talk about is the room and how dirty it is or the laundry and that they didn't do that? Because at the end of the day, you know, are they good kids? Yes. Do you have a good relationship and a good time as a family together? Yes. So then like, enjoy that. And as you always say, be present, try to take the good. And then life is not perfect. But I always say to make mistakes you can recover from that are so you're going to go out there and make some mistakes. But as long as you can recover from and obviously no physical harm or anything like that, then you know what, we're going to make mistakes. And lastly, I have said, I'm sorry to my kids. I have done those tantrums and had those tantrums and come back in and said, case closed. I was so offline, (laughs) out of boundaries. Like, I am sorry. I was not in the right frame of mind and I was tired. I was really exhausted. I shouldn't have pursued that conversation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that's another thing. I think if you expect somebody to say, I'm sorry, then you have to say it at times as well. Yeah, I feel like that was a place that as an adult, I had to really work on developing was the ability to apologize because I didn't live in a home where we did that. I mean, I remember trying to be really mindful of that, like not just with my kids, but with like friends or my partner and, you know, recognize like this has a really important role in conflict resolution. And, you know, there's the people who over apologize, right? They apologize for everything and and never just own their feelings and you know, recognize they feel entitled to those feelings, Mm -hmm. even if somebody else doesn't like it. But there's times when you do something that wrongs someone and we need to make amends and apology is one part of that process of making amends. So, you know, I hear all this, right? And I feel like we just gave these parents like these kind of overwhelming expectations, but it's really important for parents to recognize like they're human, like they're not robots. They're going to have feelings. They're going to have tough days. They're going to blow it, you know? And I think if I could wave a magic wand and have parents have a skill, it would be to have a sense of humor. Yes. And that's kids, man, they will go and do a lot of things. If you can do it with humor and you can be not the type of humor where you pick at them, but something that you're able to joke about yourself Yes. or recognize humor in other things, you know, whether it's something funny on TV or TikTok video or whatever, that's not at the expense of other people. Absolutely. Um, we have a joke in our family, like one day, um, and again, our family, like if you get up from the couch, right. And someone says, Oh, can you get me a drink of water? Like you do it. You don't fuss about it. So my son got up and all of us bombarded with him. Like, Oh, can you open the back door for the dogs? Can you give me an ice cream sandwich? (laughs) And so he said, and he was like joking, but not really like, he's like, I do everything for this family. And so we all laughed because that's not true. And then we now say it over everything. So if anyone asks you to do something, the other person goes, I do everything for this family. And it's always like said in the most dramatic way. And it's so funny every time. It's just like your go-to and it makes everybody laugh. And then people do the thing that is kind. 
It's so true. I think laughter is so important and having that sense of humor. And as you clearly defined it as, you know, not laughing at somebody, it's just mm -hmm. having a sense of being able to laugh at yourself, being able to, you know, share that laughter at times when all of a sudden, you know, it's a welcome respite to like everything that's going yes. on. And I think, you know, parenting's hard and I think the whole judgment aspect of it is huge. You know, you're trying, every parent is trying to do the best that they can given the mm -hmm. environment that they're in and in, in the conditions, as you said, you know, your mom was dealing with mental illness, that's hard. So, you know, everyone has their own constraints and their, but overall, you know, you're trying to do a good job and contribute and engage with the people that you live with and learn with, so. Great advice because we know with these high school students and I have two college students who are coming home, I always love asking people to, you know, what topics should I not immediately like ask them about the minute that they walk in or just time is short. And I just, I think all of us have kind of realized in the past year and a half, it's just life is precious every day is a yeah. gift and be thoughtful yeah. and kind and caring and know that if somebody has a bad day they're having a bad day hit the restart button that's another one i i would say can we just restart can we mm -hmm. just and i think that some kind of de-stresses the moment as well yeah what do you wish you knew before you attended college um well obviously i wish i had known more about just the process of applying so i'll give you an example i went to a state school in new york i went to geneseo great school, don't regret it. But I basically did not know that there could have been other opportunities. I just assumed like, okay, because I'm on a budget, I should go to a state school. And I was a high achiever there. It could have been that I actually could have gotten a better financial deal had I explored other opportunities. I just didn't know enough about it. It was the first kid to go to college. My parents mm -hmm. hadn't gone to college and it was just like, I just went and went to the, you know, university website and filled out an application and clicked off the ones, the state schools that I was applying for. And then it's kind of all I did. And I think that kids need to understand what their choices are, like the different types of colleges, ways to finance it, majors that are available. And it doesn't mean they need to decide on all those things right away. But just knowing that there's questions, I didn't even know what questions to ask. Mm -hmm. So I do think, you know, being an inquisitive student, I would change that. I probably would ask different questions. It's such a hard thing to go back and reflect. Everyone has such a, an array of responses to that question, because in hindsight, it's always easy to say, I wish I had done X, Y, and Z. But you also made the point of saying, you know, in terms of you didn't have that um, family network that of parents who went to college. So I would encourage people to reach out. There's so many resources out there now and reach out and ask people because there are people out there willing and able to help students yeah. if they had a question as well. We are foodies. Is there any type of food at a particular college campus that you would recommend a family or student to stop by? Well, you can't ever go wrong with a good coffee shop. I think no. that's super helpful. <laughs> it's great when you get a choice between coffee and like smoothies. So you can like figure yeah. out what floats your boat. When I was in college at Geneseo, we had a place called The Hub. I have no idea if it's still there, but it was a really fun place to eat because it wasn't just like the big kind of, you know, empty dining hall, you know, with echoing. It was more, it felt more like a cafe. And so like you'd it. go and you'd meet a friend and you'd 
you know, study between classes and you get a sandwich and they usually had like a really cool, like kind of dessert area. And it was just like, I, to me, I felt very grown up when I was in there and I enjoyed that. I love that because you always hear about the, you know, coffee shops, but I like the way you described it. I think kids feel like, okay, I found a place where I can go and act grown up. Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed it. And next time we're going to have to have your daughter on. That will oh be my a whole gosh. That's fun. That will be a fun conversation. So looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, next. she's headed down that path of, of looking into colleges now and stuff. So she's she would tune right in. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you, Tara, for joining us today to share how we as parents can be better communicators and listeners with our kids. Parenting is not easy, yet it is one of the most rewarding jobs. It requires a lot of work, and communication is a key role in building healthy, strong relationships with our kids at every stage of their lives. Being present, patient, non-judgmental, and open is crucial. Normalize being in their space. It will help you as you learn to develop a strong relationship with your kids throughout their teenage years. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com slash podcast. You can learn more about Tara and Charlotte Parent Coaching on her website at charlotteparentcoaching.com. Please take a couple minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.